0: The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, starting in verse 14, we'll be reading until verse 29. Please join with me in prayer to our God. Lord God Almighty, we come before Thee. As thy children, thou hast enabled us to call thee Father, and such thou art. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We ask, O God, by the power of thy Holy Spirit, thou wouldst strengthen us, encourage us by thy word. Revive us, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Mm. Lord, that we might see that we are about the most important thing. To know Thee, to serve Thee, to love Thee is life, is joy. The Lord rebuke Satan, that the word not be taken as it falls. Lord, thou wouldst help this preacher, weak as I am. Unskilled as I may be, to accurately preach thy word, to apply it to the hearts of thy people. Mm. Lord, give all of us ears to hear thy word, hearts to receive it, made malleable by thy spirit. Lord, that we might see Christ. Oh, that we might see more of, of thee, Lord. Mm. We might rejoice. And our knowledge of Thee, our communion with Thee, O God. Send us not on a fool's errand, O Lord. Let this not be mere going through of the motions, but the hearing of Thy Word, life. We must have more of Thee. Grant us a hunger, O God, a delight to relish. And the truth. Holy Spirit, aid us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 14, we come now to the beheading of John the Baptist. The title of our sermon is Herod Heard John. Herod Heard John. Verse 14, hear now the word of the Lord. And King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said, that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said, that is Elias, that is Elijah. And others said, that is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him, And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, and then that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee. Unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist, that is on a plate. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately The king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it. Dear congregation, we come now in our exposition of Mark's gospel to a striking passage When reading these lines, the heart cannot but be affected by what it reads. We see here the sad end of the first New Testament preacher of Jesus Christ, slain by a murderous and lustful king. Truly, John the Baptist was great among men, whom even the Lord Jesus Christ said of, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet Than John the Baptist. What a striking difference we have here between John and King Herod. The life of John was one long prayer, if you will Christ must increase and I must decrease. Yet, for the vanity of his own reputation and the indulgence of his own lust, Herod had this good man murdered. Yet, in our passage, we also read something else quite shocking. Herod heard John. He listened to him. Herod was king of Judea. John, a poor man, some strange preacher, some strange preacher from the country, dressed in camel's hair. Yet, Herod listened to John's preaching. Who was the great one here? From the world's eyes... It was this wicked king, Herod. But was it the wicked king or the royal preacher? Christian faith places the diadem upon John's head, not Herod's. Now, we do see the rightful weight which must be placed upon the narrative of John's death in our passage. There's many ways we can take this passage. There's many things to be covered in it. What I wish to do this Lord's Day afternoon is to look at the person who had him killed, Herod. The person who had him killed. There's much to be learned from Herod. Much. Who was he? What were his characteristics? What did he do? This wicked man may instruct us just as well as the righteous men will if we will study them aright. There's much good instruction in our passage regarding the characteristics of Herod and his life. If only we be willing that God should teach us, even through such means as a wicked man. And it is our prayer today that we have no Herods with us. We take note of three things regarding Herod. Number one, hopeful aspects. We'll look at some hopeful aspects of Herod. Secondly, we will look at some fearful aspects aspects of Herod's character. And thirdly, we will look at the fate of Herod and all Herods with him. First, some hopeful aspects regarding Herod. Even in the life of Herod, there are still some great things, some commendable things to be found by God's common grace. Many such people, like Herod, come near unto the kingdom of God without ever entering in. Though they come short of the one thing that is needful, coming to Christ and placing their faith upon Christ, yet we can still see many hopeful traces of grace in the characters of unbelievers even. Let us learn as Christians from this to never be outdone in doing good by unbelievers. Their end is death, eternal death, Our end is eternal life. We are redeemed and saved by no works of our own, but by God's grace through faith. They have no inward principle, no salvific motivation to do good. We have all of it. Yet they often outdo the true inheritors of salvation, Christians, that is, in goodness. It should not be so. It should not be so. For we as Christians are the ones who actually have the one true reason to live godly, to do good to our fellow man, and to do good unto God. The first of some of these hopeful aspects which we find in Herod is this. Herod had respect for justice and holiness. He had a respect for justice and holiness. We read in verse 20, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy. How rare is this becoming in our day? Day by day, how rare is it becoming, but how commendable is it to love good? All men should rejoice, delight in that which is good. All people should delight in that which is good. And nothing is better than religious righteousness and holiness, which Christians alone possess. It used to be common, even in somewhat recent history, that some of the most respected people in a society were faithful Christians, missionaries, Pastors, faithful church members who started orphanages and hospitals and did much good in their communities. Unbelievers looked upon their lives of sacrifice, of fidelity, of love, of joy, of peace and patience and self-denial, and they said, this is a commendable life. It truly is a beautiful life. That was quite common. Though they had little care for God himself, yet they admired God's people. Have we not also encountered similar people? It's rare, but I still do encounter them, and I have, and I think we all have. They say things like, I wish I had the faith you have. I wish I could be a Christian like you. I wish I could have that kind of faith. It's truly commendable the way you love God and the way you love your fellow man. You do many great things. You abstain from so many of these vices which sour the lives of us unbelievers, but I cannot be as you are. I wish I could, but I cannot. These Herods are awed by religious virtue. Religious religious virtue. But it goes no further than that for them. They admire religion as one is captivated while watching some master sculptor work to craft his figure with precision and beauty. But that's it, it's something to be admired, religious virtue. Herod not only had a vain respect for holiness itself, we see, but he also had respect for the religious man himself as well, John. He respected religious virtue and a man who had religious virtue. He respected and feared John. This too is commendable. Especially in our day, many people have hatred, abject hatred for what is good and holy and righteous. We encounter this everywhere we look. They call good evil. And evil they call good. They despise true religion. They're no longer neutral as it seemed at one time. Their consciences have been scorched. They can only rejoice in that which is evil. They call the murder of children defending of women's rights. They call sexual immorality bravery. They loathe that which is good and beautiful. Such was not the case with Herod. We can commend Herod for this. And it's hopeful to see a person respect that which is truly virtuous and good. Something I think most people take delight in. But it cannot end there. To end there is to fall short. And here we see the problem with Herod. He more so admired the beauty of a religious life than actually valued it himself. He just admired it. Something to look upon. That's nice, but not for me. Although Herod did not possess any of these good attributes himself of holiness and justice, yet he feared them. That is, he respected them. He was in awe of them. And there are still many people who respect everything that is good and right, and even wish that they were good and right and holy and just to themselves. I think it's universally true. Most people would rather spend time with someone who's self, full of self-denial, full of kindness and love and humility and joy rather than someone who is selfish, evil, and toxic. Yet, even though they will prefer the former, they will not themselves be like them. They will not be holy and good. They can venerate the goodness of others, but not be good themselves. They have no desire for it. And this is of no true or lasting value, is it? It is to live in the dirt and filth outside of a glorious, beautiful mansion when it is possible to live happily inside of it. They'd rather choose the former. To admire religion in others, but to despise it in oneself is folly and suicide. Another hopeful aspect of Herod was that he heard the word of God preached by John, and that gladly. He gladly heard the word of God preached by John. It is commendable for any person to sit under the preaching of God's word. There's no better use of time, and there's nothing fitter for the soul of man. This is a hopeful thing in any person, when we see somebody that's willing to sit under the preached word. But it is especially worthy of note when somebody of great power, like a king or a ruler or a president, will sit under the preached word. If we see a poor beggar in our midst listening to the word preached, It's no curious thing to us, is it? But that a ruler would come and sit in our midst and submit himself to the word of God does fill us with wonder. Those who have the most authority, the most power in life over others often have the temptation to to despise the very thought that there's someone more powerful than them. Someone who has more authority than they do. And that's where we get that Common slogan absolute power corrupts absolutely. A mere glance at the history of kings and politicians throughout history proves the point, including recent. But even kings and rulers must realize that they are under the authority of the greatest of all sovereigns, the ruler of heaven and earth, that is, God Almighty. They're under His jurisdiction, His authority. Many rulers would not suffer a preacher. If you look through history, you'll see this as well. They will not suffer a preacher to speak to them who will not caress and soothe them, who will not tickle their ears and tell them exactly what they want to hear. They're not going to put up with that. They do not like to be reminded that they are accountable to God Almighty and that that he shall judge them and hold them accountable to his law just as everyone else. But we read that Herod heard him, that is John, and he heard him gladly. That's commendable. John had no respect of persons, did he? Didn't matter if he was speaking to a farmer or the king. He would preach the truth. He was a messenger sent before Christ to prepare his way before him. As we read in the first chapter of Mark, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness was John. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight his message was one of repentance from sin and faith in christ claiming the forgiveness that is available to all there john always pointed to jesus christ his message was a continual saying as we find in john 129 behold the lamb of god jesus christ which taketh away the sins of the world For a wicked man, like King Herod, this couldn't have been any easy message to hear, to repent, to turn away, to no longer do wickedness, but to come to Christ and behold the Lamb of God and submit yourself to him. Yet Herod heard John gladly, we read. He called upon him again and again and again to hear him preach. This is commendable in an age where gospel preaching is so little valued even by professing Christians. Many would rather be at some place of entertainment than the church sanctuary on the Lord's Day. But even this wicked Herod valued the preached word to some degree. Again, let us as Christians ensure that we value gospel preaching at least as much as this faithful, faithless king did, Do we hear, dear congregation, the preached word gladly? Or do we go begrudgingly to church? Do we receive the word of God? Or do we resent it? Do we receive the whole word just as it is, as it is preached? Or do we reject it when it rebukes our most beloved sins? These are things we must ask ourselves. Herod was rebuked of John in no unclear terms. No unclear terms. John did not beat around the bush. He did not come to Herod and say, it may not be the most profitable thing for you to have your brother's wife, for you to commit adultery in this way. It might not lead to your best life now. It might not be that good for your relationship with Philip. It, it might not be the most helpful lifestyle choice. You may wish to consider something better, O king. No. John spoke plainly and directly. He was faithful to the word of his master and spoke straightforwardly to the king, saying, It is not lawful, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. The word of God clearly condemned the practice which King Herod was involved in. And so John, therefore, clearly related this fact to Herod. Many people will hear Of their own sins, rebuked during the sermon. And they will say, I'm not going to hear that preaching again. I'm not going to sit under that preacher's ministry again. He cuts too closely to me for comfort. I cannot hide. He does not let me hide. He beats me out of every bush like poor Adam. However, they should take note of Herod at this place. Few were more wicked than Herod. In the scriptures. Yet, even with John's sharp rebuke, he heard him gladly. Again, we can commend Herod that Herod obeyed the word to some degree. He obeyed the word. We read that when Herod heard him, when he heard John, he did many things. He did many things. He was moved in some measure to reform his life somewhere. We're not told what. He was greatly affected by the preaching, as some understand this phrase, and is translated in some ways that way. It moved him emotionally. It cut him to his core. This is the effect of plain and direct preaching, of not beating around the bush, but calling sin, sin, Mm. when God's word calls it sin. We too must take a note from John on this point. He did not fear to even call a king to repentance, to tell even a king exactly what the Word of God said. Many Christians, myself included at times, are fearful to call people who are highly valued in society or somebody that we have great respect for to repentance and faith. But the Word of God has power, and that is the key here for John. He was able to preach boldly and straightforwardly and plainly because it was not his own message. Mm. He was simply delivering his king's message. The word of God has power, and we need not fear that it will fail. Herod heard the word, and then he did many things. There are many people who even attend church regularly that are like this. They hear and hear and hear until their ears are full, yet they do nothing. I should take a note from Herod. Herod can be commended that he heard and he did something. They are like those in the parable who are invited to the feast and yet do not go. It never ceases to amaze me when there are people who will gladly listen to the preaching of the gospel for years even, but they will never act upon it. They'll hear the word over and over and over, but they won't act upon it. They sit through the sermons, and then they go out and live completely unchanged and unmoved. The Apostle James writes in chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass that is a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straight, straight away forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's like a man that looks at himself in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like as soon as he turns away. Herod may have undid, undone some unjust law he made. Maybe he vindicated a widow. Maybe he discharged a corrupt tax collector. We're not told what he did. But he did many things. Whatever they were, he did them. He acted upon the word. And this we can commend him for and learn from him. Again, we may pray and labor that we never be undone or outdone in doing good by unbelievers. However, Let us also realize that though Herod did many things when he heard the word preached, yet he did not do the one thing that was necessary, did he? He came short of salvation, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Did he not do enough? No, he repented in many areas, some areas at least, but he did not believe. I know many people. A list I probably couldn't even finish right now, if I tried who have amended their lives in many great ways at the hearing of the word preached, Mm. have joined a church, have walked as a Christian faithfully for a time. When they heard the word, they went out and did it. But they ended up shipwrecked in their faith, abandoned the faith, and they are unsaved and unrepentant, as they always were. Because they didn't do the one thing needful. The one thing needful is not doing Things Doing many things at the hearing of the word, but it is responding in faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is the one thing needful. Repentance from sin, those many areas of repentance we need to work on, flows out of gratitude to God for saving us. But it is not itself salvation, dear congregation. And Herod, though he respected religion and was greatly moved by John the Baptist's life, And preaching. Though Herod's conscience was even somewhat affected. Though he even made some changes in his own life. Yet, what was it? He could not give up his one bosom sin. His most beloved sin. He loved sin even though he could see the beauty of holiness before him. And admire it in religion. And he even wished to be holy himself. But as soon as the sermon was over... There was Herodias. He could not give her up. When he heard a sermon, like a relative of his, whom we read of later in the Bible, Herod was almost persuaded. Yet he did not give up his lust. He could not go the whole length that John would have him to go all the way to Christ, that is. He could not leave his most beloved sin. There was a halting between two opinions a hesitation, a wavering. He would have gladly embraced the gospel like so many other people we've met and know. He would gladly have embraced the gospel if he could have salvation and his sin. How many Herods do we have around us? How many of us ourselves were once Herods? Their conscience cannot prevail upon them, these poor souls. They are like Lot's wife. They have almost escaped Sodom. Almost escaped. When they turn again to look upon their sin, have one last glance of their sin, and then they never move again. They stand still as a pillar and never make a single step forward again towards Christ. They are destroyed. Let us not be Herods. Let us be affected by the gospel all the way to Christ. Secondly, some fearful aspects of Herod. We saw three hopeful aspects of Herod. Now we must turn to those fearful aspects of Herod's character that's laid forth in our passage. What are these fatal flaws, as I am calling them? What are they? What are these things we must fear and avoid? First, though Herod respected and even loved John to some degree, some commentators say, He did not have any love for John's God. Maybe he loved John, but he didn't love John's God. That was the first fatal flaw. John had no interest in making a name for himself, did he? No interest in starting some movement or some religion of his own, having his own sect. No interest in having his own disciples. He was always pointing them to Christ. His perpetual message, as we saw, is, Behold the Lamb of God! In a manner, Herod was simply a follower of John but he was never a follower of Jesus. Mm. He admired John's holiness, but not the God that made him holy. He was moved by John's justness, but he had no regard for the God who justified him. He loved to hear John's message, but not to act on it in full. He would hear John's behold, but would never himself look. Mm. Again, We have many such instances in our day, do we not? Many people will hear what we have to say about Jesus. They'll let us tell them about what Christ has done for us and what he offers to them. But they have no interest in taking hold of Christ for themselves. They admire the window, for it gives them a view of the beautiful landscape. But they will not go to it and look through it. It's easy to hear a preacher, isn't it? It's easy to hear a preacher to love his ability. There's many men I love to listen to. They wax eloquently. They're captivating as they preach. It's easy to hang on their words, to love their person, their personality. But how many people listen to preachers and yet come short of ever looking through the preacher to the preacher's master? The skeptic philosopher Hume, if you're familiar with Philosophy, and the deist politician Ben Franklin loved to hear the preaching of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was so anointed of God that you could be heard ten to fifteen miles away. Ben Franklin would just open his window and listen. They loved to listen to the preaching of George Whitfield. He was eloquent and he spoke with authority concerning Jesus Christ. But they never obeyed. His message. They never went to Christ themselves. They loved the lesser things and neglected the greater. Bifocals took the priority of salvation. Let this case of Herod be fearful to us as well, dear Christians. We diligently read our Bibles. At this church, we press that. Read the Word. Read the word. We diligently study theology. We listen to preachers online. We sit under the word at church. But how easy it is to go no further than that. To go no further than that. We play the part of Herod if we go no farther, Christian. How easy to saturate the mind with sound teaching and then forget it. Like the man in James. The truth of God's word. The truth's. Of God's word must be seized, dear congregation. Captured, possessed, digested, and cherished. Not merely read or heard. Our Lord Jesus tells us to what? Be careful how we hear. Meaning be mindful. To take care that we hear with profit. And concerning his word, he says to us, Let these words sink down into your ears. A very strange Greek expression. Very vivid. Let them take root in your hearts. Pray, God, that his word would be effectual to us. That we would digest what we read and hear. Not just leave it where we heard it. If there may be a Herod here today, we exhort you to neglect not the word of God. Do not be a curious spectator or a chipper admirer of gospel truth. Rather, lay hold of Christ offered to you in the gospel. Herod came short, and all Herods with him come short. They merely understand intellectually the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because of that even find some value in it. They understand the gospel, that God offers them forgiveness of sins and the shed blood of his only begotten son. But if we stop there with him and only understand it, we profit nothing. We will get nothing except the hotter hell. You must cast yourself upon him. Lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay hold of him as not just a god of christians, a savior of christians, but as your savior, as your god. Do not admire the faith of christians around you. Mm. But have it yourself. Amen. Ask our gracious god to grant it to you that you may by faith take Jesus Christ as your salvation. God forbid that the faith of anyone here, should ever lead others to only seeing ourselves. To only seeing ourselves. As Christians, dear congregation, we are merely signposts. Just like John the Baptist. We point to Christ. We don't want people to follow us. We want them to go beyond us. It is to Christ the sinner must go. The goal of all of our preaching, of all of our evangelizing, is Him. Him. We want people to go to him directly, directly. To seek from him pardon, from him redemption, from him a change of heart, from him a new life. It is worthless, it is all worthless, if you've listened to the most faithful of preachers, most faithful Bible teachers and pastors, but have not listened to the preacher's master through them and obeyed his gospel you will be Herod's and nothing more unless grace leads you to Jesus Christ. Another fatal flaw of Herod was that he only admired holiness and others, but he did not love it himself. He feared the holiness of John, we read. But he had none of it. He was, why? Why is this the case? Because he was a slave to sin in bondage to the whims and wills of his lusts. Our Lord Jesus describes Herod as a fox, meaning a man full of deceit and trickery, deceived himself and deceiving others. That's how Jesus describes Herod. He was submissive before his superiors, like the Roman proctor Pontius Pilate, but was cruel and deceptive to those under his own rule. He was a fox, This kind of person wants to go to heaven, but too much loves the road to hell. They are willing to give a few dollars to the church, a few acts of service and charity to their community, but they refuse to give up their sin to have eternal life. They want a way to salvation more suited to the enjoyment of their sin, these Herods. They would rather have their life than lose it but they cannot bear the command to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. They do not think their eternal soul is of enough value to lose the world and gain Christ. That's the issue here. They cannot understand someone like Moses, whom we read about in Hebrews 11, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, who chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. A man like Moses, who esteemed the reproach of Christ to be of greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. They cannot even fathom such a person. They are willing to do anything to be a Christian, as long as it costs them nothing, which they consider to be of value. They hate the sentiment of Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But alas, for poor Herod, he was a slave to his sin. Many people are rightly horrified, especially in our day, hot topic, ready? Many people are rightly horrified by the slavery of human bodies that has taken place. They look in disgust at the terrors of slavery in the past, in this country and others. But they think nothing of the millions of enslaved souls around them, men, women, and children, are led around them in shackles to their sin and lust, and they're unmoved. They want to talk about the slavery that was 200 years ago. I do not think much of a person that cries out against slavery of the body, but does not care about the true slavery of man, his slavery to sin and Satan. That's the one thing needful. Herod heard John's doctrine gladly. Yet his chains remained on him. He refused to go to Christ, to have his chains removed, to be freed from slavery. Herod feared John, even wrongly believing, as we saw at the beginning of the passage, that John the Baptist had raised from the dead and come to rebuke him again when he heard that Jesus was doing mighty miracles. But even then, he refused to repent of his sin. He refused to turn to Christ in faith and trust. John rebuked Herod for his sins, saying, It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. But rather than repent and embrace Christ's freedom, rather than behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, Herod rather took offense at this preaching and allowed the vengeful words of his adulterous lover Herodias to influence him rather than the preaching of the gospel through John the Baptist. Dear congregation, sin unrepented of, sin not checked, sin not turned away from and not hated, grows worse and worse, doesn't it? Herod had committed adultery and incest with his brother's wife. And when grace was offered to him at this rebuke of John, to come to his senses and turn away. His lust rather gave birth to a greater sin of rejecting that preached word. And then he turned to entertaining the sinful vengeance of his lover, Herodias. They he should might kill John. He grew even worse, lusting now after Herodias' young daughter. And the flower of lust then blossomed into the murder The beheading of John the Baptist. His sexual lust, in this case, once indulged, grew all the more pervasive throughout his life. From his brother's wife, he now turns to his niece, his young niece. So infatuated was he. His lust was so unchecked, so powerful, that when Herod saw the girl perform a dance, he said to her, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. He even resorted to making a rash vow to obtain the satisfaction of his lust. Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. Just desperate and gross. Notice the foolishness of Herod in comparison to a Christian soul, a faithful soul. The faithful soul says to God, Lord, take whatsoever thou wilt from me, only Give me thyself. I shall give whatever it takes, even all of my earthly kingdom. Only let me take hold of thee by faith. Only grant me salvation in Christ. Herod was unwilling to part with his lust for Christ, but for lust, the fulfilling of it, he's willing to part with half his kingdom. Look what sin does to the mind. It causes a person to become unthinking, rash, desperate, like an animal. Its end is death. Abraham, godly Abraham, faithful Abraham, was willing to part with his beloved Isaac to honor his God, to have his God's favor. And Isaac was willing to part with the comfortable use of his own hip, his own leg, to obtain God's blessing. The disciples were willing to part with their homes, their families, their livelihood, and their own lives. But the man enslaved to his sin is unwilling to even give up the smallest sliver of his lust for God. He's dead in his sins and transgressions. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And those wages shall surely be paid. This is why sin is... Your congregation must not be trifled with. All sin is a great evil, even the least sin. Herod admired holiness as a virtue, but was unwilling to part with his sin to have it. So too, all Herod's. Enslaved sinners will even be willing to turn to murder to satisfy their lusts. You've heard those stories, we hear them frequently. Of a man or some person who will kill someone to get $20 to satisfy their addiction. Sin must be fled from. It is a deadly evil. One sin gives birth to another. We see this in the life of Herod in our passage. Sin left to fester in the heart will only grow worse. God calls sinners to faith In Christ, repentance from unbelief and sin. To them all, he says, as we read in Ezekiel 33, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Jesus Christ offers salvation freely to all who would take it. We read this, Come unto me, Jesus says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus Christ's promise that we have hoped in as Christians and that is offered to all humanity. He promises to save all who turned to him in faith. He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I shall by no means cast out. Both the Christian and the unsaved person must see this. Just how destructive sin is. That sin must be forsaken. That sin is a great evil that destroys lives and sends sinners to hell if they be not saved from it graciously and freely in the blood of Christ we must as william gurnall said prosecute an irreconcilable war against our most beloved sins those sins which lay nearest to our hearts must now be trampled under our feet it is true that abraham was put to the test when he was called to take his own son isaac his son whom he loved his only son and offer him up with his own hands unto god I can't even imagine. Gernal goes on to say, Soul, take thy lust, thy only lust, which is the child of thy dearest love, thy Isaac, the sin which has caused most joy and laughter, from which thou hast promised thyself the greatest return of pleasure and profit, as ever thou lookest to see God's face with comfort. Lay hold of that sin, that beloved sin, and offer it up. Pour out the blood of it before God. Run the sacrificing knife of mortification into the very heart of it. And this freely, joyfully, and this now, Gernal says. Before thou hast one more embrace from it. Mm. That's freedom. See, somebody who's always looking for legalism would see that as legalistic, wouldn't they? But that's freedom. I promise you that's freedom. Mm-hmm. And we embrace that as Christians, that that is freedom. To do away with sin. To hate sin. To find forgiveness of sin in Christ. That is freedom. And the ability to even turn away from it. And slay it. Glory. This is the severity of sin. And this is how it must be viewed. Something deadly. For all of the Herods out there. This is too much to accept. They shall only have Christ. Here's their condition. I shall have Christ if I may have my sin also. May it never be so with us. The last flaw of Herod was that he never loved God's word as God's word. And his religion was one of fear, not faith. We read that Herod feared John. He trembled at his preaching. He was affected by the truth of it and the weight of it. But it was only terror to him. And to all unbelievers who hear, the word of God, it's only terror. He had no faith, that's why. The Christian can see the terror of God's law as it stands against him. He can observe how contrary God's law, God's standard is to his own wicked heart and fear. That's true, a Christian could do that. But that fear, more so horror for sin itself, is always combined with what? Faith. Faith. The Christian sees God's law, as Paul says, as his schoolmaster to bring him unto Christ that he might be justified by faith. That's what Paul says the law is for. And that's what the Christian sees it as. God's word is feared and respected by the Christian, but not as a terrifying declaration but as the word of a gracious and loving God against whom the Christian has sinned and by whose grace and love he has been freely reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how it is seen by the Christian. Herods only hear condemnation in God's word. They have a religion of fear. And fear does not breed love. And no more breeds love for us toward God Then spouses beating each other into fear and submission causes them to love one another. Mm -hmm. Then us beating our children causes them to love us more. Obedience to God, true obedience, flows out of a redeemed heart that loves God. Not a wicked, unsaved heart that rebels against God. Many people will refrain in our society from committing a sin because they're afraid of what the police will do of what the government will do, of being put in prison or executed. Even though they wouldn't refrain from that same sin simply because it's a sin against Almighty God. Fear of punishment may and often does restrain evil in our world. Fear of punishment often restrains evil in our world. But fear of punishment can never cause a man to love God, can never cause a person to repent of sin simply because God has commanded it. Third and last, be more brief. What was Herod's fate? What is the fate of all Herod's with him? We saw that Herod grew worse and worse more evil, more sinful, more unbelieving. By embracing one sin, he grew hardened and comfortable in committing other more severe ones, like lusting after his niece now, like murdering John the Baptist. He rejected the word of God and was rejected by God. Those of us who understand what this is like as Christians, we know that it's a fate worse than death to be given over to our sins. The rejecting of the gospel of Jesus Christ will lead a person to become more hardened against it. More hardened against it when they reject it. And more given over to sin. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans 1, saying that because these sinners, these Gentiles, knew God... And glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. These unbelievers rejected the knowledge of God they had. And their hearts grew hard. More and more hardened. Having been rejected by them, God gave them over to their own desires. Their sins and their lusts. And they went from what? Bad to worse. Mm-hmm. Herod lost to the only thing that mattered. wouldn't have mattered if he repented of every sin that he was committing as a wicked king. No matter. It wouldn't have done anything. That wouldn't have made him saved. wouldn't have made him worthy of salvation. Our Lord Jesus said, What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Therefore, we have to labor, dear congregation, as Christians... If you be Christian, to maintain and cultivate a tender conscience toward God. A tender conscience. If we are Christian and have been for some time, we understand that sad process, don't we? That sins that once pricked our conscience and were as a knife in our heart, if continued in, become less and less felt. That wound begins to become a scar, and it's no longer sharp. We must pray with King David, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. We must remember that four Christians, each sin, It's not just something worthy of hell. Of course it is. But it's actually for us a betrayal against the free love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Not against just a bare law, but against love manifest to us. That's what makes sin even worse for us as Christians. Now, if there be any such here that believe not, that have not Christ as their Savior and God, I exhort you to no longer be Herods. Even today, if you reject the gospel that you just heard, you shall only grow worse in sin, more hardened, more strengthened in your unbelief, less likely to turn to God. The Bible says this Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, what shall we do? Make no delay. Make no delay. There is no time to wait. There's nothing that we have to do to prepare to come to Christ. No sins you need to repent of before you come to Christ. If you're willing to part with your sins and come to him. And faith and trust. Only come to Christ. A few brief, and I mean brief, exhortations to Christians before we close. Let us ensure we are never Herods in our faith. First, Dear Christians, let us love justice and righteousness because God is holy and has called us to be holy, not simply as virtues in themselves like poor Herod. Secondly, let us not only hear the word gladly, but with belief, with faith. Thirdly, let us as Christians not be religious spectators, not cogitators and thinkers, but doers. The Word of God is practical. Let us practice it. Doctrine is for hearts and hands, not only heads. Fourth, let us keep in mind the one thing needful, dear congregation, knowing God. Let us turn from all things that hinder us in knowing God. Fifth and last, let us always be coming to Christ as Christians daily, immediately, without delay. Even as Christians, We must bring all of our cares to him, all of our love and our worship, and that instantly and constantly. In closing, dear congregation, love the Lord Jesus Christ. Delight in him. Come to him. Receive him. Hear the word of God with gladness of heart and resolution of duty. May God grant us all the grace to hear this word and do it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank Thee for the opportunity to preach Thy Word and to hear it preached. Help us, O God, to see Christ, to see Thee, Jesus, in what Thou hast done for us, and loving us, dying for us, paying for our sins. Let this be the motivation of our hearts and lives in living for Thee. Grant faith, repentance, sanctification, and joy to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.